This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, it isn't the first time that Uber has found itself being questioned about what it was trying to do and its methods. But the issues in London that moved the transportation agency there to cancel a renewal of its license is very important to its business. London is one of Uber's biggest markets, but that is in somewhat of jeopardy right now. Gad Elon is a professor of operations, information, and decisions here at the Wharton School and joins us with more. Good to see you. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, Dan. Thank you. I mentioned that this is not the first time that Uber has right. kind of had to go down this road. But when you think about this specifically and you think about the business that Uber is trying to bring forward, they have to, I think, go back and and look at some of their elements right now and do a second take because this is something with the drivers and their and, and the, you know their their ability to be the, the right people that are out there. This is a problem for Uber. It is, it is. Um, but at the same time, London is of like, a, as you, first of all, as you said, London is the biggest global market for Uber. Uh, I think it's the biggest, it's the fifth biggest market of all. But at the same time, I think there are specific things that are unique to London. As you said, L- London is really being in, in a long affair here with Uber on determining what's the right level of engagement. Uber has an issue here, but it's an issue that is broader than that, which is the main question are about safety. To what extent drivers are safer uh, or it's safer to drive with Uber than a taxi. London is unique here because London, I'm not sure if you, I mean, uh, our listeners know, but in London to be a taxi driver, you have to have a, a, a training of almost like two years. Yeah, to uh, know all of the exactly. different locations throughout London. Exactly. You need to know everything by heart. I mean, I think it's, it's actually a, a very complicated story com- compared to any other city. So drivers, so it's overall a fairly efficient market. It's a fairly, I mean, when you go into a taxi, you know what, where you're going to go. And and, and and Uber is trying to to demonstrate that actually are safer. There's an interesting aspect here, which is if you look at the main thing that Dara, uh, the, the CEO has done at Uber, is really trying to do things along these lines. Right. So, for example, add to the app the fact that you know if you're exiting in a, a, a bike lane to try to see if there is a better way to identify that you're in the right car. Right. Um, and, and in that sense, I think what I see London is not as ultimately the solution is not going to be to take Uber off the city. I don't think that's what's going to be really at stake here. I think it's just another point in negotiation of de- requiring Uber to demonstrate that their drivers are indeed safer that indeed they're doing a better job on background checks, that they're doing a better job in moderating some of that. And, and maybe potentially with some of that's going to be also taking care of their drivers better. But this this also is impacting the level of trust, I would imagine, that the consumer in London has for Uber. And and this is you know much bigger than Uber. The, the, the issue of trust between consumer and business is something that has been, you know, it's been a huge topic for many, many years, and, and it continues to be an important area moving forward. Absolutely. But think about how much trust Uber managed to garner in a very short amount of time. I go to a random city anywhere in the world and I take the phone and, and get into a random stranger's car yeah. because the name Uber is associated with that. So while I do I trust Uber probably not as much as I would like to claim, but if you look at my actions and you look at actions of all people, right? I mean, I think that would not be the case if Uber would not be a major, major player in London. Right? If, if it was a fringe player, then none of that would be on the table. It's yeah. the fact that people actually trust Uber but that actually is not, and, and, and in the cities of like mayors and, 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 and 
around that are not trusting, I think that's really causing the issue here. Does this potentially open the door where we may see more of Uber's rivals decide that maybe London is a market that they that they need to consider moving forward? Like Lyft is is not in London, right? And and you'll see, I think, in general, I think if you look at the global markets, they def- I will define them in, into either you have a local player. Think about like Kareem or Didi or Grab. And then you have the markets where essentially it's Uber. You don't see any of the U.S. players really compete in. I mean, you have a few, but they're really not major competitors. So for most of, of the European cities, which were Grab and, and Didi are not a player, I don't see them. I don't see them enticing, mm-hmm. being enticing to Lyft or the like. Does part of this also go to the perception that uh, that Uber used for quite a long time that they're a technology company and they are not a quote unquote cab company? Right, but if you're a technology company, then you you would you should do a better job in managing exactly this match, right? I mean, I think if you think of like Airbnb does a much better job than Uber in ensuring that this match, this engagement between, in this case, a, a, a owner of a property and and a, and a renter. Uh, are, are much more facilitated by allowing you to see, for example, where your Facebook friends that stay mm-hmm. there and, and how you connected to them uh, and, and trying to ensure that more guardrails around that Uber is not doing it, has not done a good job until now. And that's actually being really the part of their culture, right? Their culture has been, we'll do things and then we'll go and try to see what's the best way to do them right. uh, and, and potentially ask for forgiveness. Now, they ask once for forgiveness. Now they're going to ask for the second time and we'll see what happens. There was actually an interesting study, however, one thing it's important to point out. There's an interesting study by a faculty from Stanford, Susan Ify, that shows that Uber rider drivers are, generally speaking, safer than taxis. They're actually huh. safer because they're more responsive to feedback. And a lot of the feedback is about safety, is about driving as fast as you can while being safe. So if you right. look at how drivers drive, essentially, they actually are safer. Again, London is a unique perspective because of the, the way taxis are done there. But I, I would say in, in New York, I don't think there is any indication or in Chicago that taxi drivers are <laughs> safer than Uber. Absolutely in New York. I don't <laughs> think there's much much question of that. Uh, Gadalon uh, from here at the Wharton School joining us as we talk a little bit about Uber. You're listening to Wharton Business Daily here on Sirius XM 132. So Uber obviously was a startup at one point, And it, it almost makes me, with that mindset of we're going to do something, and then we'll fix it and ask for forgiveness later, if to a degree that maybe they still are a little bit of a startup at this point because they're still trying to figure things out. So two things about that. First of all, they are still trying to still figure things out. I mean, they, I mean, they're not profitable yet. It's very clear that to be able to sustain themselves, they will need to be profitable. Yeah. And so they need a change of mindset on, on that. The second thing, however, is they still have very much a culture of being a startup. And, and that has to change. I mean, you want to keep entrepreneurial uh, culture as much as you can, but, but this notion of you can come and get into a city, just do things and then see how they evolve later on uh, in terms of also having casualties, potentially having issues around um, harassment of different types, that's definitely cannot be sustained. And in fact, I think the mandate of the current CEO is definitely to bring much more of a mature company a culture to the way they operate. But should we have had an expectation, and I'm saying consumers in general, uh, should we have had an expectation that by now Uber should have had most of these issues taken care of and, and they would be beyond that kind of startup phase in their in their process? I, I'm, 
Potentially. I mean, you, you, but you look at many of the, the firms that are competing with, uh, and when I say competing, I go back to your point about technology firms. Uh, so Google, Amazon, Facebook, what allowed them to continue and dominate the last decade is the fact that they managed to maintain this very entrepreneurial culture. The fact that we are continuously trying to going to work hard, try hard, and continuously brush up a little bit of regulation, a little bit of norms, build new norms in a world that still norms are evolving. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's what allowed them to continue and be uh, as fast growing as they are now. Um, at the same time, clearly that's not sustainable in the long run. How much, and you mentioned of what Dara Koshroshahi wants to do moving forward as the CEO, but how much do they need to, I guess, go back and look at their processes to make sure that something like what occurred in London, where you have drivers you know, changing pictures on IDs so that they can you know, still be out on the roads, how much do they need to go back and review the process that's in play? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's kind of where, I mean, I think you do. There is, a, there is a constant balance between people and, and processes. So at the initial stage, you rely a lot on people. And, and, and as you start growing, you need to start moving and add more processes. But you don't want this, these additional processes to become a bureaucracy where you start alienating people. And you start alienating. And, and since they are competing on drivers, if you're going to make it hard for any driver to join by creating a lot of red tape eh, on that, ultimately, you're going to stifle the market that you are building on. So I think they, that will be probably one of the requirements. I mean, they will be to, to do a much better job on that process. You said already doing that in New York, right? In New York, for example, they are required to report in any point in time, any, how many drivers, what driver are actually driving from what point to what point. Yeah. Um, however, when you do that, by the way, you have to think about if London is trying to do that, how are you going to, what's going to be, how are you potentially stifling any entrance to that market? Because once, let's say you said every driver will have to have a background check run by the firm and with a process that has, let's say, 15 different steps, you basically solidified Uber as the monopolist in this market. Right. There is no way that a new entrant can then withstand this type of regulation. So on one side, Uber if, if I mean, would li- should probably go and check and, and, and change the process to be more adequate. At the same time, I'll be very careful as the city of London in mandating exactly each and every step here. So speaking about the, the local governments for a second, because obviously the Transport for London, which is the agency involved here, they made their decision seeing issues to cancel the next license for Uber. You mentioned about New York City and, and its focus on how many cars are in Manhattan and where they are and that type of thing. But it, it seems like we're still, and to a degree this I think is, with a lot of tech in general, we're still at a point where our government agencies are still playing catch up and truly understanding the impact that a lot of these firms are, are having in our societies. That's going to be the case for the next 20 years. And, and, the re- and, and only 20? Uh, maybe longer. Maybe longer, but definitely for the next 20 years. And, and the reason I'm saying that is that it's very clear that all of these firms are playing currently a waiting game until we see what happened with autonomous cars. So now you bring right. into the city autonomous cars. Who is validating their uh, algorithms? Who is looking at uh, the relationship between having a, a driver inside that is actually attentive? I mean, there's so many questions. And so mobility that has somewhat been of a stagnant area for the last 50 years is going to go through major changes in the next 20 years, maybe 50, maybe 100, as you say. And I don't think the type of regulators we have 
uh, are ready to play that game, are ready and, and, and understand the depth of some of these issues that we see. We see the same issue, by the way, not to try to bring another firm, but another topic, but the FAA going through yeah. a Boeing is exactly the same idea, where the testing is not anymore about the material itself, but in fact on the underlying software beneath that. And not understand this, that the testing now cannot be anymore just at the what happened if we crash, but rather is the system even ready to handle the type of, of stress and, co- and complexity we see? Well, autonomous then becomes a very interesting topic for a company like Uber because it has the potential to take away some of these issues that obviously we're talking about right now. But then it also has the potential of putting a lot of people out of work who are you know, these gig economy drivers that have been working for companies like Uber over the last few years. Right. So I think that's kind of one of the main love-hate relationship between Uber and its drivers. For many of these drivers, it became a bigger and bigger part of their income. Yet it's very clear to all of them that, I think for most of them at least, that this is a temporary game. And, and so I think when you do that, you have to compete continuously on these drivers. And so I think there is a, there's going to be a question here for London, for example, And, and I think that's we're going to see it to the bigger scale later on. When you become a major employer in your city, I'll give an example. We, we, I spoke with a, an Indian firm that is doing the equivalent of, of a DoorDash. Okay. They are the fourth biggest employer in India. Wow. For, for a, like a DoorDash, for like yes. food delivery. Yes, the fourth biggest employer in India. Wow. And think about now... Taking an employer like that and, and replacing it now of course it's going to happen gradually but even gradually it's going to happen gradually within three four years yeah and you replace all of them with some type of autonomous car vehicle a robot it, the impact on the economy is going to be immense and, and, and so in that sense I think um, we're going to see major shifts and, and, and the regulator are going to play catch-up game for, for, for the next for the foreseeable future but it also means that a lot of these companies that you Where autonomous seemingly would be a pretty natural fit, these are companies that are going to be impacted significantly before they actually get autonomous on the streets because they have to put the investment in right. in all of this technology beforehand. So their margins are going to be pressured even more so in in the years ahead. Potentially, but there is a potential I, I think that it's not clear yet what's going to be the predominant model. Potentially one where maybe you actually own the car. but you lend it to Uber. Okay. It can be another one where there are the major f- car manufacturers that are actually owning some part of that. And, and, and there is, so, I mean, there are multiple options, uh, but the main advantage for Uber is going to be that currently, many of their losses are because of the fact that they need to compete on these resources, right? We go back to, the, uh, to London, most of these drivers can drive for multiple firms. They can, right. they can drive for Uber, but they can do also many other different tasks. Right. And as long as you need to compete on their time, your margins are going to be hurt. The moment that it's a static asset, we go back to the old economy, so to speak, but with a potentially a potential for a higher margin. So does Uber expect at this point that they will be back in London? Do you think at, at some point they'll be able to, whatever these issues are, they will be able to address them and clear them up? And I note that because I guess a couple of months before this, there have been other issues that Transport for London had with Uber. And they seemingly cleaned them up and they came out and said, yeah, Uber's done a pretty good job of addressing the issues. Now, two months later, all of a sudden Uber's out the door, no, no renewal of the license. Yeah, so I, I cannot see a solution where it's not going to be renegotiated. 
So I think it's going to be renegotiated in a way that they will have to strengthen the processes. They will potentially have to give up something in terms of a controlling hours, maybe like in, in, in New York, try to make sure that they improve the type of safety they demonstrate in other places. Maybe there is some way to uh, validate without really the need to look continuously at the, uh, the license number, which is not always visible. I mean, you, you right. can imagine different things. And, and it's, in my opinion, very clear that they're going to go back to the market. Which probably means that the technology side of this is again going to play a role, especially when you're talking about something like validating the 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 uh, the, the person that is the, the, the one driving the car. You want to be able to do that maybe with a scan of some kind, uh, an app of some kind on your phone. Exactly. Or, or, or I mean, there are technological solutions where we can, by on proximity, actually identify whether you're the right person or not through facial recognition. I mean, there are so many different, more advanced technologies. Until now, Uber has been relatively low tech on the technology side. That's funny because we I think we even though they we consider them a kind of a cab company, we do expect that they that they have invested heavily and they are a, a fairly significant tech company. Not so much. I mean, I think if you think about what they've done initially at least was to match people based on proximity, hard but not not that hard once I know where you are, and allowing price to fluctuate. And again, most of the criticism they got was that their algorithms on, on trying to predict demand as a way to prevent surge, as a way to move drivers to the right place, have been usually fairly simplistic. More than that, if you look at most of the, for a long while, until probably like a year or two ago, you had initially essentially one button, you click that, someone showed up, there was very little nuances. I think they're doing yeah. a better job now in guessing where you're going to go based on your past performance. They're doing a few things in the, in, behind that. And, and, I, and I, I should say, uh, it, in my opinion, this actually has been a good idea to keep like, the features at least sim- simple on, the side, mm-hmm. on that side. But most of the safety is in telling me currently, in telling me that I'm landing on a, on a bike lane. That doesn't strike me as a, a very, very complex technological solution. While everything else, or, or giving me the number of the car, the, the other person has a phone. You should be able to tell me right. if I got into the right car or not. Right, exactly. But it, it is interesting that from the technology perspective, you're talking about wanting to have as, as crisp and as clean a, a, an operation as you possibly can. It does make you wonder how Uber goes from point A to point B, having had this incident and all the other incidents that, that, that they've had in the past. It's, so in my opinion, I don't think these are top of mind to, to the firm, right? I mean, I think when you're losing money and you think about like generating like Uber Freight, which actually works well for them, and, and Uber Eats, and, and you get into Uber Works, which is going to be shift work around Uber from B2B. I mean, there's so many other areas you want to expand. While, so it's, it's not clear that they're actually investing heavily in making this market more efficient. They're playing, in fact, the feeling here that Uber is playing a catch-up game with regulation and making sure that peace regulators rather than innovate on the safety side. But you have obviously the uh, the, the agencies in London and other towns that are they're very aware of, of what Uber is doing. Uh, you have that here in the United States as well, but it almost seems like we're still kind of in a build-up process to where that relationship is going to ultimately be between regulation and, and companies like Uber and Lyft and others as to how what they're going to be able to do in the long run to be successful and be profitable, but without crossing the line uh, of impacting the safety of the consumer. Yeah, I mean, I think that's actually, I go back to the point that, that the student from Stanford makes. Most of us would like to drive, the, would like the driver to drive as fast as they can while being safe. 
That's the, yeah. I think that's probably true for us in the relationship with Uber in general. We would like Uber to grow as fast. Uber solves a problem in most cities. Like in New York City, for example, if you went to take a cab during rush hour, good luck. <laughs> that's right. So they solve a problem. And so we like their presence. We like to complain about things, but we like their presence. We, once in a while, we have safety issues. We would like them to go as fast as they can in growing and everything while being safe. That tension is hard. Is it surprising then that the traditional cab company has not looked deeper into investing into this type of mindset? Because I think if they did and they were able to spend the time and spend the money, that they could really give Uber a, a run for their money. So you see that in some countries where a, it's basically you have an Uber-like solution to the existing system of cabs. Okay. And, and then it works quite well. The only issue is that it's not cheaper. It's basically the cab prices, which are actually usually higher than Uber. Right. Um, I think the other issue is that most taxi companies think in the following way. They're, they're not technology-driven. They're not market-driven. They always were given the right to charge usually very high prices with providing very low quality of service. Yeah. In which case, when they see someone trying to undercut them, they try to do what usually firms do, which is try to convince the regulator to attack the, the entrant. Yeah, but all they have to do, all the cab companies have to do is find a really good VC to be able to kick in the money that they need to. Obviously, they kind of have the... The vehicle is already set in place. And maybe that's the other problem is the fact that the cab company is responsible for the vehicles, whereas for the most part in Uber, they're not responsible for the vehicles that are taking these people from point A to point B. Right. But VCs would like to see one thing, which is growth. Growth and high margin. And, and taxis do not offer you high margin. They don't offer you growth. So the reason Uber grows at that rate is that to compensate for lack of margin, you have to grow it. At an extremely higher speed. And so is the growth rate then within the Uber service itself or all these other elements that Uber is going to be into in the years to come? In, in all of them. I, th I think it's going to be by now, I, I would say, I don't think we're going to see significant growth in the Uber traditional point-to-point -point driving model, primarily because by now they have a fairly high market share where they can. They don't have a high market share where they cannot get into. Right. And so we're going to see it as very stagnant. So the growth is going to come from every other area while still maintaining their market share in, in, in these areas. It, it is interesting, though, that this is a company that, that obviously has a, a strong following with a lot of right. people around the world. And even with some of these instances that pop up from time to time, they don't seem to be affected negatively by these instances popping up. People are really relying on that point A to point B service. Are they happy with it? Was the driver good? Was it a good experience? And that's where they're basing their opinion on Uber right now. It goes back to what we said earlier, which is I think they do solve a problem. People don't like to admit it, but to me at least, if you for most people I know, if you take Uber away, they now need to go back and understand how they speak the language in the country they go to. They need to understand how much, what, most people stopped using currency, local currency, because by now between the taxis, we're the only one where you need to actually use currency. Yeah. I had to speak to at least have a, a some, to understand at least, to, to know address I'm going. I don't need it anymore. It goes directly from my email to my Uber. Yeah. So Uber actually solved a real problem, which I think that's where the tension is. If there was really not a real problem, there would be no demand, in which case the regulator will not have to come in and step in into that process. So I think one, the issue, however, even though they solve a problem, is that it's not clear they can do it in a, in a cost-efficient way. Right. 
And I, I guess that's still for uh, uh, the expectation is that's still a little ways away at this exactly. point. Exactly. Exactly. Great seeing you. Thanks for coming in. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Gad Elon from here at the Wharton School, professor of operations, information, and decisions. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.